Hi, and welcome to the Hollywood Dream Maker Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Gallo. I'm a 35-year veteran actor. I'm the kid who came out to Hollywood with 200 bucks in my pocket and a one-way ticket when I was 18. Didn't know a soul out here, and I've been living my dream ever since. I've had an amazing career. I've been an Academy Award-winning film, blockbuster film, hit TV series. You name it, I've done it, and I got the IMDb credits to prove it. Six years ago, I opened up my own school, the Manhattan Actor Studio, where I found my true passion. That's teaching the craft of acting, but not only teaching the craft of being the guy. Success leaves clues. I know how to make dreams a reality. I did it for myself, and I do it on a daily basis for my students. And I can help you achieve yours. Welcome to my podcast. Let's get started. I am super excited to introduce my guest. He's a talent and literary manager and co-founder of Entertainment Lab. I want to welcome Sean DeBravitz. That is correct. That is me, the guy with the complicated last name. Welcome. Welcome (laughs) to the podcast. Thanks, Billy. So I created this podcast to inspire artists to follow their dreams, right? If a kid like me could come out to Hollywood at 18 with 200 bucks in my pocket, a one-way ticket, didn't know a soul out here, and make the dream a reality, you know, then why can't the listener out there, right? And, you know, for for a guy like you, I mean, I'd like to go back to the beginning. Like, when did you know you wanted to be a talent manager? And how did that become, you know, come to fruition? I never knew that I wanted to become a talent manager. It actually happened by mistake. So I I studied at UCLA International Development, uh, which has nothing to do with the film and TV development. I was uh, I studied um, how to help uh, poor countries develop because I'm originally from Serbia. And so, uh, so I, you know, I speak four languages and that was my passion. I wanted to uh, help poor countries. And uh, I was, I hoped that I could get a job at a, a United Nations maybe, or some NGO. But then I started um, going out to Hollywood and meeting all these cool actors and publicists and agents, producers, managers. And um, my business partner back then, still my best friend, uh, and now my business partner as well, uh, Matt Ilchuk, he uh, he was with me throughout, you know, from the very, very beginning. And we actually met in college and we needed to make money, right? To pay for college, to pay for our living. Um, and so one of the ways we did it was we started throwing these events and parties for uh, film premieres, rap parties, uh, red carpets for any kind of fashion event, film event, small, mainly small, small indie kind of indie movies and uh, small film festivals. And, um, and so we did that for like a year, I would say. And then we started adding also actors who were kind of our friends. We were going out with them together. And they were, you know, some of them were like brand new series regulars on shows, or they were maybe major recurring guest stars on shows. They were just kind of breaking out at that time. So we signed them on um, and we were their publicists. We we uh, we kind of try to get them as many interviews, articles, uh, gifting suites. We try to get them uh, into events, red carpet, gigs, anything possible. Um, and we did that for like a year, a year and a half. And um, back then we signed two of our actors with uh, Paradigm Talent Agency. And one of the agents over there was who was also our buddy. He told us, well, you guys are so aggressive and so 
skilled and proactive and as publicists you're you're not really supposed to you know that's not a job to sign actors with an agency i mean you can but you know they don't really do that and so he says you guys would probably be a better fit uh, as managers and and we told him well that sounds great you know i always like admired managers whenever i would meet them out and about like, it's so cool they actually you know were able to do some tangible work for these actors when it comes to their careers, like bring bring actual opportunities that their way, as opposed to just like media opportunities. Um, that's just kind of how I viewed it um, and how we viewed it, Matt and I. And then, then we told him, well, we don't know how to do managing of actors. And he said, well, just buy me lunch and I'll show you the basics and he'll take it from there. And that's what we did. We took him to Hotel Roosevelt in Hollywood and he brought his actor buddy, I remember, with him. And, and we paid for his lunch. And he told us quite a bit about you know, the industry, what, what, how we need to be, what we need to do, what are some main things as managers that we need to provide for our actors. And that's how Matt and I started. Yeah, so we weren't planning on it. We just kind of fell into it. Uh, but that's what I tell some of the interns or young staff that we have on our, uh, on our team. And yeah, well, mainly, uh, mainly them, not the actors, because actors acting is a different uh, world. But I tell them that they should definitely, if they like the entertainment industry, um, they should definitely try different fields within the entertainment industry. So maybe you start as a publicist, then end up as a producer. Maybe you start as an agent, end up in advertising. So there's like, you know, there's casting also. So there's like five, six categories in the entertainment industry that are very similar. And you can just bounce from one to another until you find yourself and find where you where you best fit. So that's how we ended up being managers. And we started with one actor. We signed the actor at Tender Greens. The first few actors, we had no office. And then slowly we just built it. And now we have two offices, one in LA, one in New York. Matt runs New York. I run LA. Multiple staff members, managers, great people we have right now on board. Finally, we have a great team. Yeah, that's how I fell into it. <laughs> That's awesome. Congratulations. No, thank so you. You handle actors and writers? Yes, and directors too. Awesome. And and I read somewhere that you package, you know, deals with uh with companies. Yes. So we do our own packaging to the best of our abilities before we bring them over to the you know buyers, studios, networks, streamers, and sometimes also independent production companies we work together with the writer or if a director has brought a script, then we work together with the director as well uh, to try to attach um, any um, star name actor, star name showrunner, if it's a TV series uh, or a star name director. Again, if, if the writer brought it and we don't have a director um, yeah, just to kind of package to the max, whatever we can. Right. And it's, it's most of the time it's, it's a shot in the dark, but we, we keep firing those shots. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that's that's kind of that's kind of the game when you don't have money to put down for the for the project right away. So that's the way to go. Um, that's at least how we do it. Yeah. You got to keep taking those shots. All it needs one to hit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So, you know, as far as if, I, if I'm an actor and I'm looking for a manager, right? I mean, this yeah. is the reason why I wanted to have you as a guest is, you know, I know I have, you know, I have the Manhattan Actors Studio here and I have hundreds of actors that are always looking for representation. So if somebody was to reach out to you uh, looking for representation, what is it that you look for? Okay, great question. And that's, I, I really wish that the answer to this question uh, 
was more obvious to other <laughs> other acting coaches over there and, and actors were trying not to reach out to managers or agents. So uh, what they what I love to see is um, a few headshots, not just one, uh, a few, because the, the rule of uh, the th- uh, rule of thumb is that if people don't recognize you at Tender Greens when you show up as an actor, if people, if you're not getting straight up offers, without auditioning, then you do need headshots. And in that case, you should probably have maybe four, six headshots, maybe eight, you know, if you can pull off more looks, uh, you don't want to do too many. So yeah, we would love to see a few headshots in that email, a pitch from the actor, and then uh, resume attached and IMDb Pro link, if possible, that would be great. Actors access link, if possible, great. And then casting networks link is also you know, interesting to see because I might see more photos over there. I might see more media. I mean, videos over there. I might see the actors' commercial bookings listed on there uh, if they list them. Sometimes they don't. There's a there's a theory there. And then on t- and then finally, and a very important thing, I would love to see acting reels or acting clips or audition tapes. Just any moving image showcasing the the acting quality of this actor. Uh, And not just one. I would love to see at a minimum one minute comedy, one minute drama. But, you know, three or four is perfectly fine. And I love that. I watch all of them. Uh, I might not watch the full length of a minute because the moment I get the, the feeling of that actor in that scene and the pace and I just kind of like, okay, the this actor has got this great. I move on to the next clip, but I love, I need to see them. Yeah. So that's so three or four clips. You know what? I don't think you would want to add an a six, eight more clips. Cause that kind of seems a little bit too desperate, maybe a little bit too thirsty, a little bit too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, between two to six, I would say max clips, that would be great. And if you, if they title them properly, that that's even more helpful. If it's a comedy, you know, you can have a title of that short film that you took the clip out from or or the scene, just a scene that you know, you can title the scene, Joe and Jane, and you just put dash drama or dash comedy or dash dramedy or dash sci-fi scene, whatever, from a sci-fi project. So just something that's a little bit, that gives a little bit of a uh, introduction to what, are, what am I looking at right now? Um, that's very helpful. Uh, and that's it. That's all we need. And don't forget... One of the little silly things that happens very frequently, actually, is that when actors move to Hollywood or whatever, L.A. or New York, or they start acting, they they keep their old personal email and then they have a new stage name. So the name, the, the email says, you know, john.riley at gmail.com. But that John has changed his name now to Jack Riley. So I'm just, I'm confused who is emailing me and how am I supposed to look this person up on IMDb or is this the right person? Uh, So just try to, if possible, try to create one email specifically for acting purposes and and make it sound like your stage name. So there is no discrepancy between your stage name and your email. It's just easier. And then sign, you can have an automatic signature in your email with your full stage name. Don't don't use the legal name because it's of no use to a manager agent. We, we address you with your stage name, by your stage name. So just your full stage name, and then you can enter your email. And maybe for some old school talent agents and managers, a phone number. Some people just like to call. I don't, but they might. 
you can also include an Instagram um, link or whatever, you know, I don't know. I don't care for that, but maybe some commercial agents might care about that because they just like to see the essence of the actor when they're out and about and who are they naturally. So that's something that commercial agents care about, which I care about it too, just not as much. Yeah. All right. So do you care about when those headshots, like having castability, like if they can, they, they can play a cowboy, that they have something looking like a cowboy, or if they look like a cop, they can play a cop, or do you want those pictures to really scream the castability? Yeah. So that's a little bit, I would say that's a little bit too much in my opinion. I would stop right before then. So if you're playing a cowboy and that's something you really like and you think you're really good at it, just wear flannel. Just wear a flannel in that for that specific look because the flannel can also cover a, a rugged guy look. It can cover uh, a farmer, yeah. a cowboy, outdoorsy guy for commercials or just or film and TV. So the flannel look covers five or six or more of those options. So I would say don't go to, to the costume yeah. part of the outfits. Stop at the, you know, flannel, suit, T-shirt, leather jacket. For men, that's great, I think. Those are great options for men. And then for women, again, T-shirt, they can do a flannel or denim for like maybe tomboy look, maybe more like, I don't know, blue collar, I guess, look. And then they can also do a blouse. They can do, and then they can do also some type of a, a suit, like office look, collar shirt, collar shirt look. Just those four looks, if they can pull off, uh, those are very, th those four outfits cover quite a bit. And then of course, every actor is different. So there can be some extra ones too. Yeah. Now, do you recommend that they go out and, you know, shoot those professional headshots or, or, or are they, if somebody's just starting out in the business, do they mm -hmm. need to, because I know a lot of times uh, an actor will go to an agency and then that agency will want them to shoot with their, their photographer because they like those photos. So do you want to hold off on investing the money into getting those professional shots? Will, will, will something, I mean, you know, I mean, these iPhone cameras are pretty amazing now. You know, if you took some pictures like that, would that be sufficient for, for you? Yeah, I, what I, no. What I would prefer is that they talk to you, Billy, or the acting coach who they're working with and have the acting coach discuss the branding. So uh, have the acting coach help them in their acting class or, or as a separate session, private session, help them with those three or four looks and outfits. Really, really figure out exactly which shirt. Because, you know, sometimes I'll ask for a flannel and I'll get a pink flannel. And I'm like, that's just not, that's really a sex. That's really a niche. Like I, that's not covering four looks. That's just one mm -hmm. look. Yeah. So, so working with an acting coach would be great because they don't have a manager, right. Or an agent at that time yeah. to, and, and figure out those three or four exact outfits, then shoot them with one of those, you know, discount photographers. They're still out there. You know, you can get photos for 200 bucks, 300 bucks. They're pretty decent because you want to present yourself as a professional already. So you got to fake it right in the beginning a little bit. And, and so, the, and when you attach those photos, if I see that they're like amateur photos and like, okay, well, this actor doesn't even want to spend 300 bucks on their career. Why should I even consider, you know, cause one, you know, how much do I make per hour? So that's how I calculate, right? Am I, if they don't want to spend 300 bucks on themselves, why should I spend an hour on them? And, and it, I mean, it's not that harsh, but like it, it kind of just, it makes their email pitch look more amateur 
if no. they don't have professional photos. And, and, it, and it's a business. And if they believe in themselves, it, it, you know, they should definitely spend 300 bucks <laughs> on, those, on those photos. And yes, some of the iPhone photos will look really good, uh, but sometimes they don't. And also depends on who, like if a professional photographer uses an iPhone or maybe you or someone who is, you know, a photographer or editor or whatever, professional in the industry, if they use an iPhone, if I use an iPhone, I know, <laughs> I haven't done it much, but I think I could figure out the angles and the lighting and stuff. But you can't just use an iPhone and have their brother or sister or mom sure. or friend take those photos because we're going to have weird angles, shade, shade, weird shades, not good lighting. Yeah, I mean, I, I can make a list of a lot of mistakes that could happen there with an iPhone. Yeah. So I would just say get an extra shift at a restaurant or, or get an extra you know, gig, side job, dog walking gig or whatever for, for a couple of weeks. Get those 200 bucks, 300 bucks, and I think it's really worth it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, that's what I tell my actors all the time. Everything you put out there needs to scream professional. You can't have anything that says amateur because, yeah. you know, those doors are going to close. Oh, that's this. This person's not professional. So yeah. and you have two all seconds. materials. Yeah. Yeah. All. You got two seconds in front of an agent or manager. That's it. You got two seconds in that email. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and when you put together that footage, your demo reel stuff, you know, don't save the best for last, you know, make sure you have the best stuff up front because they won't watch the three minutes. You know, you, you want to hit them with your best work right out the gate, your castability right, right out the gate. You got to know what you're selling. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, Hollywood is a business and, and you're a product and you have to know what your castability is and what you're selling to Hollywood, you know, because that's what's going to get you in the door. Once you're in the door, then you can change your minds. You can, you know, show them your castability. You can play other roles. But, you know, you got to use whatever your gift is. You know, that, that makes you special, your unique talent, that there's only one you highlight that, bring that in. You know, I mean, I have I've had tons of guests here on, on the podcast. You know, I'll, I'll give you uh, Emilio Rivera. You know, he's uh, he's an actor. You know, he, he plays the, the the gang member, the Cholo. You know, he's got his own. He's got he's got three TV series now, you know, uh, Mayans MC. He plays, yeah. El you know, but, you know, he knew his niche. He knew what it was that got him into the door. He played those gang gang member parts. But, you know, he's played cops. He's played other roles. But it was the gang member that got him into the door. So, yeah. you know, just know your castability. Know what you're selling to Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. And it's, sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it takes years to figure it out. But at, at least you're trying <laughs> Yeah, get there. So, you know, when we had a conversation the other day, you mentioned that you wanted to see actors self-tapes over demo reels sometimes, right? Because you want to see if they can actually deliver the product that, that you know, it's it's your business, it's your reputation on the line. If you're having actors and they're creating crappy self-tapes that are, you know, you can't hear them and they're in a silhouette, they're, in, you know, they got the cat running in the background. I mean, you know, that's, that represents you too, because you're submitting that actor. Exactly. So what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we check our act, all of our actors tape uh, uh, very frequently uh, my entire team does that. We kind of split the work there. And then we email all of our actors whenever there's something to be pointed out, something to be fixed, uh, even minor things. It could just be, you know, a wrong T-shirt color that just, just blends into the background. Or it could be the black, uh, the, the background that's very similar to the hair color. And then I don't know where the hair stops. I mean, I know my actor, but I could assume that a casting director would have issues like, 
is that long? Does she have long hair or is it short? Where does it stop <laughs> the hair? Like where? Um, anyways, so that we look at the the sound quality. We look at the volume of the scene partner. Is it higher? Much higher than the than the you know than the actor? If that's the case, that's not good. Like I don't want to he- hear a too loud of a scene partner. That just takes away the attention from the from you from the actor. Uh, we look. I mean, we look at so many elements. Uh, uh, the, the the video quality, the image quality. We look at the framing. You know, are you are you all the way in the back, and I can't even see your facial lines, or are you too close, creepily close, right? So framing. Uh, we look at uh, the pacing. Is your scene partner helping you with your pacing, or is the scene partner terrible and is ruining your pacing? Is your pacing in general, good for this specific project. If you're doing Disney Nickelodeon, is it upbeat pace, or are you, you know, are you just doing a normal life pace uh, acting, which is not good for that uh, case? We also follow trends. You know, I follow, I talk to cast directors as well, and I, I see the trends that are, have been changing in the past three years in the in the auditioning process, starting with COVID. Uh, casting directors are kind of starting to go fast. Uh, through these tapes, it just kind of becomes an, a thing because they have to watch these tapes so fast and they don't have to apologize themselves for themselves for, you know, thank you so much. Uh, you can leave the room now. They don't have to do that anymore. So they just click on the next tape and they're becoming faster in judging these actors, right? Assessing their acting quality. And because of that, I think the, the, the new wave is coming where the actors should pick up the pace a little bit. Because if they're too slow, if they're not entertaining, if they're try- really kind of like, you know, take dragging out the scene and the scene partner is slow before they start their lines, it's just boring. Yep. And I can tell the cat, even though there might be a good pace for that movie because it's, I don't know, a drama, a slow burning drama, but still pick up that pace a little bit. That's what I would, for example, suggest. So there's a lot of these things that, that we take a look at when we um, analyze our actor states, and then we we give those suggestions to them. Yeah, you definitely got to know what you're reading for. I mean, that's the first thing is is like, what am I reading for? What is the show? Like you said, if it's a Nickelodeon, is a, a Nickelodeon style. You know, if it's a one hour drama, if it's Criminal Minds, you know, it's a Talking Head. You know, there's there are different. It's a sitcom. You want to know what am I reading for, and how do I fit into that show? Mm-hmm. And and I always tell my actors now is really make some big choices, previous circumstances coming into the scene. So you know, when that casting director sees it, there's stuff going on. It's not like you're saving and building it up towards the middle. I mean, you could lose them at hello if you don't even know how to slate your name properly. You know, so. Yeah. It's it's really you know creating a, a a character a rich character making some big choices, you know uh, out out choicing the other actors you know the casting directors think they know what they want but it's your job as an actor to change their mind, to show them the character you know make some some choices so that's what I do with my actors and I teach. And this is my own personal opinion. I've never been a fan of the blue background. You know, if I'm yeah, blue is a little bit yeah. too bright and just like a bubble gum. Like, I yeah. don't, listen, maybe for a commercial, I, yeah. I would say that would work. But if I'm auditioning for, you know, the, the the criminal minds to play the serial killer and I got a blue background, it's fake. You know, once you get a real gray wall, yeah, it looks like a real interrogation room and, and, and keep it real. Don't put anything in the frame that's fake. That's funny because I've been telling that to my actors and I kind of apologize in advance because I'm like, I'm not sure if it's just me, but this bright green or bright blue background is just 
it hurts my eyes. I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, he looks so fake. He looks like you're an actor. You're like, come on, like, let's make this look as if you were in the scene. You know, of course, you don't have to do the whole production, but like, like you said, some, some earthy tones, perfect, you know? And, and then of course, make sure that those earthy tones don't match with your skin color and your hair color because then it's not good so every one of us have uh, has a different complexion so try to find the background that works for you yeah. uh, subtle colors yeah yeah but i see i'm i'm the one I, I say give them the performance be so good that when they're going clicking through those you know wrinkled curtain guy with the script in his hands they're poorly lit you know they're going through and then all of a sudden they land on you and it's frame right it's lit right you got the wardrobe you got the accent whatever you're doing you got the background it, it just feels like this yeah. feels real. Like I can take your footage and I can put it up there on my screen and it doesn't take that much longer to, you know, it's a small frame. So, you know, you just have to fill the frame exactly, and, and, and fill it with stuff that's real and give them the, the yeah. performance. Yeah. You know, I say I, a perfect example. I, I, you know, I've been to te- I built my school nine years ago. So, you know, I've been very busy here and I love teaching and my agent, you know, reached out to me, I don't know, January and said, Hey, there's a, Reoccurring character on General Hospital, you know, it's uh, and I'm like, been there, done that. You know, I did that show 20 years ago. I did a reoccurring character on the show. I did 20 some episodes. And um, he said, no, you should do this thing. And I was like, you know what? I was teaching a self-tape class, you know, and I was filming the self-tape. So I said, I'm going to use this as an example. So I shot the self-tape in while I was teaching the class. And I just sent that and I got the part. (laughs) So, you know, because I know that works, giving them don't, you know, have the wardrobe on, have the, you know, serve it up. So they, it's like yummy, yummy. That's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, You know, don't don't imagine too much. Yeah. Don't leave anything to the imagination. You have to serve it up, especially because it's so fast paced. I have to see it. Boom. You know, if if you are auditioning for a cop, you know, well, maybe you have that blue shirt on with the white T-shirt, you know, that looks, you, got, hey, you know, you don't have to have the badge and the thing and the thing. But, you know, it's it's something that ha- kind of has a feeling of a cop. Yeah, exactly. The hairstyle, too. You can't yeah. just have, like hair in a weird, messy way. That's not cops. Cops are tidy. You know, sure. And, and then there's, you know, the behavior of the character. How does the character behave? How do they stand? How do they walk? How do they talk? All that stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you know, when you're looking for talent, what do you, where do you look? What are you looking for? Well, because of the strikes, uh, I have lowered the bar a little bit. I have more time. <laughs> I don't know when these strikes are going to end. So recently we have, the, the past month, we have been looking for these gems that who don't have credits but are talented, preferably younger, and and, and trying to find some of these younger actors and kids too. Uh, but usually, on when the industry is up and running, we're looking for actors with recurring credits and up. That's kind of our goal for now, and we're trying to elevate that goal every, I would say, two years, uh, just kind of to push ourselves, push our actors as well to submit them for you know, or, you know, get them uh, minimum, let's say, recurring roles or minimum guest stars role, guest star roles or minimum recurring guest star roles. That would be kind of the trajectory that we're trying to go uh, for the next few years. And so, yeah, recurring and up. That's what we're looking for. All kinds of, you know, all ages, all ethnicities, all types. Uh, I really, some of these agents and managers, they have a, a specialty and passion towards 
you know, maybe only good looking roster or only females on their roster or whatever. Like I really don't have such a passion towards anything like that. I have just appreciate a great actor, whether it's a six year old kid who can be very talented actually, and, and you know, deliver the lines like no one else or, you know, or 85 year old lady who, who is just amazing and has great credits and I would sign her too. So yeah, I don't have any other specifications, just good credits. And, and also, I mean, of, of course, we take a look at our roster and we see, you know, if we have too many people in that category, or if we know that it's really hard to sell that category, then we don't sign those actors because, because it's just, it's oversaturated in, in certain areas. And, and then again, my experiences are different from other agents and managers' experiences. So, so that, 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 that's always different. Um, it depends, it changes from a person to person. What about the, the literary department? I mean, if I'm a writer and I'm looking for representation, at what point do you think a, a writer needs to find representation? Oh, if you're an actor, writer, director, find representation as soon as you can. There's no hurt in there. And if they sign you for a year, you're not going to be destroyed in a year. They can only help you, I think, you know. Um, but yeah, so for writers, as long as you have your first script written, a final draft, you know, I I, I don't, don't want to see early drafts or something like that. I don't have time for that. Um, maybe some other managers do, and that's totally fine. Uh, and some, also, some managers also work differently than me. They build the writer, and they like to give a lot of notes to the writer. I don't have time for that because I also represent actors. So I only look for just a great script and I will give the notes, very detailed notes, but because the script is great, it, those will just, those will just be minor notes, spelling typos, maybe a couple of structural things. Maybe, maybe, maybe fix and fix the ending, some quick fixes like that. And then we're off to races. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to work on the development, on the creative development of the script, like the writing part too, for too much. I could do that. I just, you know, it's because it's so hard to sell a script and, and spending a lot of time on one script when it's not really ready, it, it's, it's a waste of time on my end. So I have to choose wisely <laughs> where I spend my time on. Yeah. So this, my studio I have, I help actors, you know, this is like, um, I, I call it the actor's gym. It's, it's the place to come work out. You know, I tell my actors, learn how to write. That's cool, actually. That's cool. That's a cool uh, now, a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you want to work your talent. What muscle yeah. do you have to work on? You know, and, and I, I believe that all actors should know how to write because then, you know, you don't have to sit around and wait for the phone to ring. You can actually create your own project, your own short film, cast it, you know, turn the desk, be the, be the producer. You know, hey, the, I, this is my script. You want to work on it with me? You know, be the casting director. You know, get grab your power back, and and it's you know, you can create you know a product that really shows your star power, right? If you know, I I have I'm very comedic, or I have the ability to cry, or whatever. You know, write to that, show that, show that talent off. So you know, here I help develop. You know, I've developed many shorts and films, and you know, we, we do table reads here, and and you know, I help develop uh, a couple of uh, my actors are really. I'm working right now, helping them develop their one hour drama pilot, and one of them is just it's amazing. I mean, it, it, it's it's so good, right? 
Um, he, he's like, you know, he's never written before, but he can write, you know, I've, I've read thousands of scripts and, you know, when he comes to me with new pages, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And it's a great story. And he's got his own voice and it's a very powerful, it's a great idea for a show. So once his script is finished, right. And he wanted to, let's say, reach out to you, what would be the steps? What would he need to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just a very simple, short email, uh, introducing himself. And in that, in that first one or two sentences, I would mention any big achievements from the, the writing career. If none, that's fine. Just say I'm a screenwriter in LA or New York, whatever. And, you, and then you go immediately to the log line. And then uh, maybe one big paragraph synopsis. Or, you, or, or if you feel like you'd need to, you know, you can have two or three smaller paragraphs, I guess. But don't go too much in that first email. Sometimes, you know, it, it's it's also an art, email pitching. Uh, uh, you can also sometimes only include the logline and do not include a synopsis. Uh, if your logline is very powerful and very intriguing, and then you, you want them to email you back to ask for the synopsis or ask for the script. So because the goal is to for the manager agent or producers to actually request the script. Never pitch the script right away. Because legally, first of all, legally, uh, many of us have, have writers sign a release form before they send us the script or along send us the release form along with the script, sign and, and fill out. Because we don't want to get sued if, if we end up producing in the future something that's uh, maybe has some elements from it. And, and then you, you know, we end up getting sued. And we really didn't steal anything from you. It's just like accident or whatever. So that's how many producers, agents, and managers are, are kind of covering themselves legally. So And that's why they kind of get scared when they get a script right away. They immediately might email the person, the writer back saying, we haven't looked this. It went to our, it, we put us in our trash. <laughs> and that way you kind of, you kind of ruin your reputation as a writer for, with that company or whatever maybe they don't remember but um yeah so the best is just to open up with a logline and synopsis that's it and and state state very clearly at the bottom of the email please let me know if you would like me to send you the script like in some some writers and even actors they, they forget to state what they want for me <laughs> so they write a big big email and there's just, I'm trying to see what they want from me. I don't know. Is this just, are you just talking to how successful you are? Or like, are you sharing your life story with me? I don't know what you want from me. Um, so yeah. So those three, those three things would be great in an email. Nothing else. Oh, sure. also, actually, sorry. Actually, one more thing, which is something that not many writers do. But I think it's a fun thing. They could include like a, a work in progress poster. You know? I think all of us, or most of us, are able to use at this day and age, a Canva, or PowerPoint, or Photoshop, or one of those tools to just create. Doesn't have to be an amazing poster, but just create a poster with some imagery that that's that tells us about the the tone of the show or the movie, and you and it just makes it look more legit, makes it look more real, and it just sparks the attention and inspiration by the manager agent or producer i think it works well so very cool for those listeners out there that don't know what a log line is could you explain it to them a log line so that's uh, aka elevator pitch um it, it's one to two sentences sometimes three but i wouldn't push it to three one to two sentences that intrigue the potential agent manager producer 
they create that intrigue in, in the in the script. So they so you have to tell me in one or two sentences something that will make me want to ask to read the script. And, and you know, and there is a whole technique, and there's a lot of um, kind of tricks in in, in uh, that you that writers can. Um, include into their creation of the logline implement. So when creating a logline, you have to have that hook. You can't just describe what it is and that's it and not cause any emotion in me. So you have to create create some emotion in me with that logline. And there's a lot to it. And some of some of the great writers that I represent, they have awesome writing skills, great screenplays they've written. But their log lines are terrible, and it's an interesting thing. So I think as a screenwriter, that's definitely something. If I was a screenwriter, I would definitely spend time on learning and researching uh, how to create great log lines. With the writer's strike and the SAG after strike going on, you know, I know that it's only certain contracts. There, there is work out there for actors. They can still do commercial work or voiceover work, or, you know, certain projects. There's some do's and don'ts. Uh, you know, how, how has it affected your, you know, your business right now? It has significantly affected our business. Our business is down to 30% of operations right now. Uh, and yes, you're right. Uh, I hope I won't be quoted or I hope I'm right when I say this, but I think it's as of right now, as of this day, these are the things that we can submit our actors for. It's commercials, micro budget, uh, uh, SAG after waiver, uh, indie projects, and then um, industrials, video games, some voiceover, some podcast, theater. Yeah, I think those are the, <laughs> that's what's left <laughs> that we can still get our actors uh, booked on. Can you talk uh, about the waiver? I'm, you know, I, that I'm kind of confused around the waiver. You can get a waiver uh, around? Yeah. Yeah, you can if you don't have any, uh, as far as I know, if you don't have any connections with the buyers, with, with the AMPTP entities. So if you're an indie indie filmmaker. Okay. So uh, an indie filmmaker would have to go and get, go through SAG and say, listen, I have this film that I'm producing, but I'm not dealing with any of the truck companies. I'm not trying to sell it to them. Uh, I don't even know where it's going. And but that's the question. That's the that's the trick right there, right? Like, if you make a movie or if you make a TV pilot, if it's any good, you're hoping that AMPTP, one of those companies, will actually pick sure. it up. And it just it. doesn't. It doesn't make yeah. sense. I mean, if, yeah. if we're on strike, we're on strike. I don't think you should be able to be yeah. doing. I'm actually. I don't know. Like, I really. I see both sides of that coin, and I am in between. I don't know what the right thing is. <laughs> yeah. So, so how many years you been in the game? Twelve. Okay, so twelve years. Can you share some of your success stories in the business? Success stories, yes, yes. Uh, I'm not sure if any of the uh, listeners, viewers, have uh, watched Andy Mack on Disney. It's a show that ran for four years. Uh, Peyton Elizabeth Lee, we put her in that role. And then she 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 went with a bigger manager later on, as as it happens sometimes. Uh, so she's one. And then Maddie Carter Robel, he's 
He's one of our top actors. He's uh, on all kinds of TV shows and movies, big studio films. He just did SpongeBob. And then we have Christine Horn. She's on a new uh, Netflix series called uh, Classified, a series regular. Before that, she like booked one or two series regular roles in the past year, but one of them didn't go through, whatever. Uh, so yeah, she's doing really well. And we actually incentivize her to come here from Atlanta. And she has been doing really well right now. And um, we're submitting her on both coasts, so New York and LA. We had multiple options when it comes to our writers, multiple options, a uh, couple of sales, and nothing big, nothing major yet. Uh, if, it, if it were to happen, that would be life-changing, but nothing big yet, unfortunately. And then with directors, um, uh, mainly when it comes to directors, we get them those smaller films, indie films, lifetime type films, uh, movies, uh, nothing, nothing big. Um, but then again, none of our directors are names. They're not, you know, they're not big names. So it's, it's, it is hard to get them any, uh, big TV show directing jobs or any studio, especially studio film directing jobs. So the, the level of the game in the directing world is just those independent films and movies of the week, I would say. And then a um, bunch of meetings though. We get we get our writers and directors, a lot of general meetings, a lot of script reading requests you know, from producers to read a script, um, but it's just so hard. It's just so hard to get any, any, any big thing sold or get a big job. It's very competitive. Um, and as we all know, the top, um, the top agencies, top management companies, they kind of have a very strong foothold in 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 you know and power when it comes to deciding who gets the directing job or which script gets picked up because because all of these big writers are, are you know if you have a big writer and you have a beginning writer beginner level writer who just came out the person might be great she might be a great writer but then there's another lady who's been you know sold three blockbusters already and they're they're most likely going to take her film into consideration. And that's just my theory. <laughs> it's just, uh, I'm licking my wounds, you know, that's just my theory as to why, why we haven't sold anything big yet, even though we have been like, I feel like we have delivered the scripts and, uh, you know, showcased our writers and directors to so many you know, studio executives, uh, streamer network executives, pods, production overall deal companies, the, the production companies that are on the lots, um, a lot of those meetings, but Nothing major yet in that in that area, unfortunately. Well, I love that you put yet because that's what it's all about. It's just yeah. <laughs> very next one. That's the beauty of what we do in this business is the yeah. very next audition, the very next meeting could be a yes. Yes. So yeah. You got to get through the no's. I believe every no brings you closer to a yes. So go get some no's. Yeah. Yeah. You know, keep banging on the door. I mean, it's like yeah. I, I, I tell the story when I came out to Hollywood, you know, at 18 with 200 bucks in my pocket, a one way ticket. I was like, uh, you know, that 200 bucks right now real fast. And I said, I got to find an agent, you know, and I didn't have, I didn't have anything. I didn't have pictures, nothing. You know, this is back in 1984. You know, there was no cell phones. There was no GPS. I had a map and, you know, a bus. And I, I literally went banging door to door. I had an Academy players directory with, with, you know, I went through the A's and the B's and literally knocking on doors and the door slammed in my face, get lost. No, no. Yeah, no, no, no. And then I kept banging. I went through the A's, B's, C's, D's. Finally, I found an agent at Y, the Yenes talent agency. Okay. <laughs> I had to go through all the alphabet to get to the one yes. And wow. the one yes 
got me my first audition for a guest star on a TV series called The Fall Guy. I went in there. I got that part. I got my SAG card. I got Taff Harley and the rest is history. But, yeah. I, you know, it's it's about having that 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 passion and, and keep knocking on those doors and never give up because it's that very next door could be the one that says yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, uh, that's 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 what I tell my actors, writers and directors. You got to keep pushing, you know, but then sometimes, you know, I got to say this, like sometimes in the actor's life or writers and directors life and even in our lives, if you feel like, you know, you've done everything you could and it's been so many years and it's just like and, and you kind of lose passion towards something. Hey, give it a break. You know, take a break a month or two or maybe a year. And I've had actors do that. And they come back with full force. They got back rejuvenated, uh, you know, because sometimes you get lost. So it's because it's really tough on the soul <laughs> getting rejected so often. Uh, yeah. And I know this because I get rejected. I rep represent projects. I represent actors, artists. And, uh, you know, I get rejected a lot. It's not me personally, but my client is rejected all, you know, and it happens. And so, uh, and artists are especially especially get affected because uh, artists are. It, it happens in, in their face, like you know, they they you know, someone does not like your performance, or you're not good for you're not the right fit for this, and it just takes a big toll. And you need sometimes space, and maybe in that in that month or two, maybe you you reinvent yourself and you change your career path and pivot and become an agent or become a manager or whatever, uh, or, or completely change the industry. Uh, that's why I don't want to be selfish. Of course, I want all my actors to stay actors. I want them all to be my clients, but I don't want them to be unhappy people either. If they feel like that they have lost every single ounce of of passion towards this business, if they yeah. became became so jaded, go do something else. See, you know, see if it, anything else interests you or whatever, you might come back. And most of them do come back. And then a couple of them didn't, a few of them didn't. And they went on and did other things and they're successful in the other, in the other industries. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, just make yourself useful, I guess, to the society. Like, can you, can the society uh, appreciate you? what you're doing, uh, whether you're an acting coach or a manager or an actor, does the society have, you know, any use of you? And if you feel like you're useful, you're, you're getting a job here, you're getting a job there. Great. Stay and do it. Uh, but if if you keep getting tons of rejections over and over again, and there's barely any victories, then you know let's reassess. Let's let's change things. Uh, let's change things up. Yeah. What do you find rewarding about being a talent manager? First of all, like, of course I care about results, but I just like doing it. You know, it's one of those things where if I uh, and I actually did work at a bank before. Uh, I worked at a bank and it was okay. It wasn't bad. I liked it. It was fine. But I always, you know, I would always look at my phone and see what kind of events were happening, red carpets. I was just, you know, fascinated by that whole world of, of actors and writers, directors, publicists, everything. So like I, I, I have passion towards it. So just being in this business is good enough for me. If I can pay my mortgage uh, car payments and put food on the table. Great. Like I'll keep doing it. And then of course, if, you know, every time one of my actors uh, books a series regular role, that's huge. Every time one of my kid actors, for example, books a recurring role, 
That's awesome. I'm happy. So any of those success stories, anytime I option uh, one of my writer's scripts, every time my director books a, a small TV series, for example, a few months ago, that was great. It was her first TV series. It was it was like an independent TV, uh, um, TV series by an independent studio. But it was still cool because she got to direct two seasons of it. Uh, St- uh, Stasha Crawford, uh, that's the director's name. And um, that was awesome. So any of those stories that they just that just add uh, they just add more fuel to the fire uh, in me. And then also being surrounded by the artists and and entertainment lawyers, producers, directors. I just love that world. Uh, uh, I feel like I fit in well. People understand me well. Yeah. So just being part of that world is also one big thing for me. Yeah. Awesome. Last question. If you could uh, go back in time and give the little you some life advice, what would it be? Oh, that's a good question. To start investing in real estate as early as I could. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But other than that, let's see, career-wise, career-wise. Not not career or life life advice. Life-wise, I... I've had a pretty great life so far, uh, you know, knock on wood, thank the universe. Uh, I had a pretty good life. I don't think I would have taken, yeah, I, I really can't think of anything that I would have, that would have drastically improved my life or something. Yeah, I can't think of anything. And then, and then career-wise, um, I'm trying to think of something career-wise. I did make some mistakes in my career when we hired some wrong managers, wrong assistants and stuff like that that just weren't the right fit. But then I think that's just growing pains. You just have to learn. Uh, I wouldn't have learned otherwise. You know, right now when I'm interviewing new staff members for a company, I can kind of tell like who's going to be a good fit and who isn't. But that's only because I made mistakes. So then again, you know, without mistakes, you can't really advance that much. Yeah, no, nothing, no, nothing really. Uh, I don't want to sound too compass or whatever but i really haven't i haven't made made that many big mistakes in life i because i've always taken myself very seriously and i you know i i would think most of my life moves and career moves were really thought out so and i did my best most of the time i guess you know what now that i'm talking about it that is that is one of the problems i have actually ruined my health by being so trying to be a perfectionist and that's sometimes, there we go, there we go. So that's one thing that, that's between a life and a career. Uh, it, it, it impacted both. So just trying to be too perfect is not good. I learned that B plus is good enough sometimes. You don't always have to get an A. And just sometimes just taking it easy, letting the universe take, take you for a ride sometimes. You don't have to control everything. That That's something I wish I'd learned earlier. I would have saved my adrenal stress issues. <laughs> I would have saved my uh, health uh, that way. Uh, and drinking more water. There we go. Drinking more water. I wish I'd known that because I don't, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm thirsty, but my body says otherwise. So drink that water if you live in LA. <laughs> Great advice. Hey, hey, Sean, I can't thank you enough for jumping on and, and sharing your wisdom and knowledge on the podcast. Thank you, Billy. It was, it was a pleasure. And I hope to get some uh, more great actors from you and maybe a writer or two. <laughs> They're coming your way. <laughs> awesome. All right. Have a good week. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Please rate, review, share this with your friends. Subscribe if you haven't. 
please take whatever you get from here, the golden nuggets, and apply them to your career. Go after your dreams with passion. Don't let anybody tell you it can't be done. I believe in you. Follow your dreams. I'll see you in Hollywood.